God. Now I have burrito burps. Ooh. I have mac and cheese burps. Whoo! Yep. Okay, well, now we are recording, so... Well, hello! <laughs> <laughs> we definitely did not just eat dinner in front of each other, no. like ravenous wolves. <laughs> no. Why you would even assume that is hurtful to me. Wow, it's not going to be a real belchy episode. No. Um, no. Do you know um, that... I sometimes when I think about how often I like belch directly into the mic here, now I'm just going to always be aware that Jan Probst listens to our podcast. Regularly, it seems. Oh, my God. I I love that. And also, I'm so sorry, Jan Probst. But I appreciate you and all that you do. Ma'am, I'm, it makes all me feel are. like a more worthwhile human. The Jan, like, takes time out of her day to, like, listen to us yes. bullshit about yes. women. Oh. One million God. percent, yes. So much. Man, we're supposed to be hanging out with Jan Probst this week. I know. Ugh. So I went, so I had this picnic, a socially distanced picnic today. Yeah. Which was so freaking fun. I was looking forward to it so much. I was like weirdly giddy this morning because mm. I was like, just got to get through the stuff I got to do because then I can go on my picnic. <laughs> um, but one of the women that was on the picnic with me was supposed to come to Valdez and she was talking about, you know, some stuff with her theater company. And she was like, yeah, you know, we got this grant so that I could go to this conference. So now we're redirecting it to be, you know, for other types of promotional development. And I was like, <laughs> I hate it because people who have never been are bummed, but. I feel like don't really understand like how bummed they're, they should be. Well, before I went, when everybody was like, you got to go to this conference. I was like, okay, nerds. Yeah. Like no one cares that much about camp. And then I went. Oh my God. It's and the best like, kind oh, of camp. Oh, I was wrong. That's oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. I know. But then next year is just going to be a rager. Man, next year is going to be a fucking banger, dude. It's going to be wild. Everyone's going to be disgustingly friendly. Yeah. People are going to be a lot. lot. No, they will not. I will put up a hard, excuse me, I still have boundaries because we are just out of a pandemic. Part of me, whenever it was, like, officially canceled, part of me was like, fine, next year should be two weeks. And then immediately I was like, no, we die. No, we can't. Everyone would die. Everybody would die. No. No. Slash, also, sweet Dawson might literally die. (laughs) I think think Dawson would punch you in the face if you were like, what if you made this two weeks? Dawson would be like, fuck off. No. He shows up at my apartment in Chicago just to punch me in the face. And sweet, yeah. like, Carrie Ann making all of the oh. coffee for everyone. <laughs> just, God. Just, like, her eyes twitching. The whole staff would just, yeah, no. Yeah, I don't think it would go well. So I, I immediately shoved that idea down. <laughs> right. So, Dawson, cancel your plane ticket to Chicago to punch Reagan in the face. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Um. Hey, welcome to Babetown. <laughs> yeah, I got it. I got there first. I almost said it as we started recording. 
Me too. That would have been really funny. <laughs> we should. We super should have done that. We just inch ourselves closer to becoming professional on, not even on accident, just out of spite almost. That's yeah. exactly what it is. Um, I had my first camping trip of the year last week. How did it go? It was great. We went down to Homer. Um, we drove down Friday after work, so we didn't get to Homer until like 10, and then we didn't get onto the spit until like 11. Yeah. Um, but it was daylight still because it's Alaska in the summer, which is dynamite. And uh, Dylan was in town for the weekend, in Nanilchik town for the weekend, so he came and met us. And then we all stayed up till like 5 in the morning. <laughs> I am shocked. That's Just hanging shocking. out around the campfire. We At one point, we were all like, why is it, is this, is the sun coming back up? We're like, oh no. So that was, that was fun. And then Dylan ended up having to leave like kind of early. He left at like noon for his dental. Dentist party. Dentist party. And uh, Evan and I both were like, well, I guess we might as well go home because everything in Homer is closed still. Like Two Sisters is closed Mm. for the summer and Vita's Thai food is closed for the summer and like all of the places that we go are closed or we weren't going to go during a pandemic anyway. So we were like, well, this was fun. It's a beautiful day. We might as well go back. So we went back to the campsite and we burned the rest of our wood. So we had like a little daytime fire, which was nice. Got real sunburned. I don't know if you can see my very sunburned nose. Um, And then we came home. So we did a, a, Round trip, Homer camping trip in like 24 hours. <laughs> wow, that is a whirlwind. It was, but it was really nice. And like neither of us felt like we were leaving too early because like we go to Homer so often that we have it pretty streamlined. <laughs> so we were like, oh, we don't really have anything else we want to see or do. And so, Thanks, yeah. Sarah. Yeah, so we came home and then had a nice like lazy Sunday. And yeah. That sounds really nice. It was really nice. We're going to go to... We're, speaking of Beldies, we're going to go camp in Thompson Pass this weekend. Ooh. Yeah, I think we're going to try and swing down to Potato Head and get some fries on Saturday. So, if they're open. I, I don't even know if they're open. Slash what their pandemic sitch is, but Man. might as well try. My, you definitely should try. Gotta at least try. So, wow. yeah, we're going to go. Camp, hopefully it's not shit weather, but like honestly, even if it is, I'm into it. Still Thompson Pass. True. So, so you know. Wow, that sounds awesome. Yeah. That's pretty much all that I've got going on though. We um what did we do? We went to the suburbs. Uh a place called McHenry, Illinois. Oh. That I didn't know existed. Um to hang out with a couple of Trevor's friends from like years and years ago <laughs> that I had never met. I've heard about them a million times, but I'd never actually met them. And so, cause every time that they all wanted to hang out, I was always like, sorry, I'm working. Sorry, I'm working. Can't I'm working. Yeah. And so now I was like, ah, yes, I am free and clear. <laughs> Wide open spaces is my life. Um, and they got a dog recently and so they were like, bring the dog, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we go out there and we get out of the car and I think it was Caitlin. 
anyway, one of Trevor's friends was like, did you, did you steal our dog? How do you have that dog? And we were like, what? And she was like, it's nothing. Come, it's weird. Come around back. And so we go in the backyard and they have a skinnier version of our dog. Like, that's so weird. Did you post a photo of this? No, I didn't even take oh. one, which is. Oh, I thought you posted a photo of. I should have. But it, I've never seen a dog with coloring like ours with the black stripe down the back and then just like coffee colored on the side. Yeah. And theirs was the exact same. That's so like, weird. To the point that. Were they some, our, from the same litter or something? We thought so, but they're both from the South. Uh, theirs is a year and a half younger than ours. And so we were like, oh, did you do the doggy DNA thing? And they were like, yeah, she's all of these breeds. We were like, cool, ours is none of those. But also it could be like the doggy DNA people were like, send us a picture of your dog and we'll we'll tell you what, yeah. what they are for sure. So, I mean, who knows? But they, I mean, they seriously, ours is pudgier. And there's likes people, mm-hmm. but it's the same dog. We kept like ours got in the garden and they were like, get out of there. And I was like, that's ours. But like, you can yell at her. <laughs> don't worry about it. Like, I didn't mean that to be like, don't yell at my dog. <laughs> but like, that was, and then Valkyrie pooped at one point. I turned around to get a bag, turned back around. I was like, again. And they were like, nope, that one's ours. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, okay. I don't know what's happening. Wow. Well, what are you drinking? Oh, right. <laughs> We're recording a podcast. Because <laughs> I'm like staring down my tongue. Uh, I created this cocktail yesterday. And it's a my strawberry new summer. Okay. So what I did was I had some strawberries that I wasn't eating fast enough. And so I cut a bunch of them up and froze them. Smart. And so now I have gin a little cucumber water topped with lime bubbly water with frozen strawberries in it. Yum. And it's like this summer refreshing, wonderful. I'm obsessed. That's that sounds great. It is great. Thank you. Oh, man. Hmm. I'm real jealous about that. What are you drinking? I think I'm going to make sure and bring because we always do for summertime. We do San Pelin gin. And it's always dank mostly gin usually a lot of gin and so yeah that's a that's a dynamite combo classic combo yeah well a little splash of sampel and then like a mug of gin yeah Yeah. into that so i think i'm going to try and bring that for camping this weekend um pretty great i am drinking a pleasure town ipa Ooh, look at you Mm. it definitely might switch to a white claw uh or i might switch to water because there is a storm rolling in and that is how my life goes so follow your dreams follow your heart follow your brain don't let your dreams be memes don't let it happen can i tell you something right now speaking of dreams yes okay so it's right here actually i'm going to show it to you i'm reading this book and my friend christina gave me what up christina shout out thank you you're the best it is called Women Who Run with the Wolves. Have you heard of Ooh, this book? Uh, I think yes, but I've never read it. The the like under title or the secondary title or whatever it is, 
is myths and stories of the wild woman archetype and how like women are drawn to nature and it draws all these like metaphors and similarities in women and wolves. And it's very like spiritual and I'm deeply obsessed with this book. I love it so much, but as we all know, I have really weird dreams already. So I'm deep in this book. I had a dream the other day that I was the mother of wolves. Like I had a den of wolves last night. I had a dream that I was a, Oh no. What's the word? Um, a, they help you give birth. A doula. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, for a bear. Sure. And so this huge bear had like a very deep connection. She was trusting me with her cub. And I was like, you know, it was like all up to me. We had this, and I woke up and I was like, man, that book is getting to me on some metaphorical levels. Um, that's amazing. I'm definitely going to buy that book. It's so good. Like I can really get behind that. There are so many times that I just like set it down and I'm like, yes. (laughs) And then keep going. Um, but anyway, hello, and I feel hello. welcomed. Hello. Thank you. Welcome. This is Babe Town. We're a podcast. Population us. And you. Our motto is consistency and punctuality. Punctuality and not shit show is here for you. Professionalism is key. That that's is our that's our motto. Our shared middle name. <laughs> um, I am almost 100% sure that you are going first. If you have any belief that I'm going first, I am 1 billion percent going first. If you are going first, I would be blown away. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I... I no, I don't think that I am going first. So okay. what mm-hmm. year was your baby born? Probably. Yep, you're going first. <laughs> there's there's no there's nobody that it would start with probably if you if I was going first. That's fair. Um all right. So <laughs> probably between sixty and fifty BCE. Yeah, definitely. A hundred percent. All right. Sit back, relax. I'm going to tell you a fucking tale. So this is one of those stories that like we have gleaned all we can from history and then legend starts to take over a little, but very little. I have a maybe idea as to who you're doing, but tell me. Wait, no, guess first. You can't can't, claim like, oh. I can't remember possibly how to pronounce her name. So if it's a hard name to pronounce, then It is a hard name to pronounce. And um, there are a few names in this that I looked up and wrote down phonetically how to pronounce them in English. Probably still going to mess it up. Okay. Okay. Taylor, have you heard of Queen Amanarenus? Oh, no. This is not who I thought you were doing. Okay. So in her, we call them queens now. Queen is our word for it. But their word was Kandaki. No, Kandaki. Yes, Kandaki. That's where this goes. Okay. I wrote it really big in the... (laughs) Anyway. Uh, So Kandaki 
Amanorenus was probably born between 60 and 50 BCE. So context. Between 30 and 22 BCE, some say it was eight years, some say it was five years, for this period of time roughly, Rome was at war with the people called the Metroites, the people of Moreau, in the nation of Kush, which is modern-day Sudan, right along the Nile River. Okay. So Egypt had been conquered and was being ruled by a Roman um, prefect, and Kush was just to the south and had resisted thus far. So in 24 BCE, Roman forces were sent to fight in Arabia, and according to historians, the Meroite Kushites sacked one of the countries or one of the cities and destroyed some of the Roman statues in that city. And then in response to that expedition, the Roman that was in charge of Egypt, his name was Gaius Petronius, of course. Um, He took a force of 10,000 infantry and 800 horses to push them back. So one of the historians mentions that the, uh, the Kushites, the Meroites, same people, were led by a Candace and her son, Akinidad. Okay, so what is a Kandaki? So it's the term for the queens in the matrilineal line. They were the sister of the king of Kush, and she would bear the next king, not by sleeping with her brother. They, <laughs> just to be clear, <laughs> just clear. This is a real quick... I don't want anybody thinking that they were sleeping with their brothers because as far as we know, they were not great. Um, But they like brother and sister co-ruled, but the line went through the sister. It was through the women. Right. So yeah, the line passed through the women of the family. And so a lot of them ruled with their brothers, but a lot of them ruled alone as independent Royal women. It was a title for warrior queens, queen regents, and the ruling queen mothers of Ethiopia, Egypt, and Sudan. Cool. So when Greek and Roman sources were introduced to the Kandakis, they were like, ah, it must be her name. Her name is Candace. And there were two other Candaces before her. Oh. Yeah. Those dumb dick Romans. Just. Those Greco-Roman idiots. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so the one that's fighting in 24 BCE is Amanorenus. And she reigned from 40 BCE to 10 BCE. Because it goes backwards. Because it goes backwards. Oh, God, that's so confusing. Okay. It's just the amount of time I was like, I reread this research maybe three times. And I was like, okay, focus. <laughs> what are they saying to me right now? Um. Her husband died at the beginning of this Roman Kushite war. And so then she took over um, probably in, yeah, in 40 BCE. Okay, cool. So her name means, the name of the queen means Amani is her name. Amani is Nubian for Imana or Amon, meaning unique god of Africa. That's going to come later. So cool. Okay, so during a battle at one point, we don't know which one, she lost an eye, and it made her, like, super ferocious, so everybody called her the one-eyed Candace. Oh, my God. And, yeah, her son was Prince Akinidad, we're pretty sure. <laughs> okay. Chances are real good 
that a kindred adds her son. Okay, so at this point, she is a queen. Yes. More she, or less. She is ruling. She's fighting the Romans. She has one eye. She has one eye and one son. Okay. Okay. This is how it's going. So back to the Roman everything. And this is like modern day Sudan area. Yes. Okay. Uh, just south of Egypt. Okay. So they hold them back, like they're going back and forth enough that the Romans and the Kushites begin peace negotiations and they don't go well even a little bit. So Rome keeps pushing and keeps gaining more Kushite land. Um, and during those ongoing battles where they like kept taking more and more land in 24 BCE, the year, uh, the year 24, the year 24 Casual. before, uh, Prince Akinidad was killed. So once he died, Amanoranus was like, fuck your peace negotiations. Fuck your everything. We're going to war. You killed my son. Suck my dick. Me and my one eye. Me and my one eye are going to stare you down just hardcore while you die. Uh, So the war continues for three more years. And every account of her was like, no, she fought real fiercely. Like she was up front. She was fucking taking names. And in one battle, her armies found a statue of the Emperor Augustus, cut the head off, and then they buried it beneath the steps of a temple that they built, like, dedicated to their victory, so that every time people walked into the temple, they walked over the head of Augustus, and she was just like, middle fingers for days. That's a real solid great move. Just get out of my land. The biggest get off my lawn in the yeah, world. Really. No, I would never compare something so cool to something so lame. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in 21, they start negotiating a peace treaty again. And it doesn't say that Amanoranus negotiated it, but her people did. So I'm assuming it was somebody on her behalf. That makes mm-hmm. sense. And the they, I, I don't know what the exact terms were. But the Romans stopped advancing. They never were occupied by the Romans. The Kushites were never occupied by the Romans. And they never had to pay tribute to the emperor. They somehow were like, we can keep doing this and we'll keep killing all of you. Or we can just call it quits where it is. I really like the idea that their peace treaty was just like, listen, man, we can either send in this like crazy one-eyed lady who's going to wreck your shit. Or like you can just get out of here and let us be cool. And they were like, you know, deal. Yeah. It was like, you know what, Rome, go rule everybody else. We're chill. We're going to keep doing our thing. We're going to keep doing our thing. And Rome was like, you know, we're exhausted. (laughs) You're right. You're right. (laughs) Okay. So fast forward to 1834. Oh, dang. Yeah. The tombs and lands of that Moreau Kushite nation were looted And the dude who looted them couldn't sell any of his stuff to the European market because the European market didn't believe that such amazing things came from an African kingdom. Because systemic racism goes all the way to the top. Wow. Yeah. So I'm going to have a quote in here. So the, the whitewashing of Egypt deepened. Quote, since it was mentioned in the Bible, Egypt, like Palestine, was routinely depicted as having been inhabited by white people by Europeans and Americans who had grown comfortable worshiping a white Jesus and honoring a white Moses, 
but they never saw the need to extend this perceived whiteness all the way down the rest of the continent of Africa. So almost 100 years after that, a racist douchebag excavated the area, and he was like, you know what, it seems to me that these light-skinned people that we've found must have ruled the dark-skinned people. And it looks like these females were rulers, but they must have been just watching over until the sons came of age, because there's no way that they ruled alone. They definitely never ruled alone. But since then, scholars have been like, or you could look at the actual evidence <laughs> and the actual historical records that show that the Kandakis not only ruled independently and fiercely, but they were the ones that allowed the kingdom to prosper. Like, under their rule, these kingdoms yeah. fucking flourished. I said, quote, the Candaces of Moreau, in fact, are among the most powerful and successful monarchs of the kingdom of Kush, and their skill in leadership was the equal or better of any king. Mm -mm -mm. Wow. Mm -mm -mm. Um, so, there's no official connection saying that this next part came from Amanoranus herself specifically, but it is believed that it was one of the Kandakis that was the foundation for the legend of Medusa. Ooh, that's awesome. Mm -mm -mm. So she was said to have worn a pouch around her waist containing live snakes that represented wisdom and renewal. She. I, I don't think that I have ever wanted an accessory more. Than a fanny pack full of snakes. Oh, just wait. Wow. So she is said to have... The reason she carried the original Gorgon mask was to frighten off the unskilled, which I think is incredible. Oh, because, man. Like, if you're scared of this, like, you clearly don't have the shit like, to bitch. deal with me. Yeah. Just step off. And it was painted red to symbolize the power of menstrual blood. Oh, my God. <laughs> I just... Wow want to dance around a fire um wow. her name derived from the egyptian mat which means truth also gives us the words medicine mathematics and a sanskrit word medha meaning female wisdom and the gorgons were a trinity whose names were <laughs> here we go <laughs> medusa stano and ureli also okay. meaning wisdom strength and universality so Otherwise known as women, bitch. Seriously, like the goddess of women, of truth, of strength, of like female wisdom. But when Greek and European cultures discovered the African culture, they obviously had no idea what it meant. And instead of learning what it meant and trying to understand, they were like, oh, those on your head must be snakes. Therefore, you're a monster, not, you know, dreadlocks of the goddess of truth. Oh my goodness. She's wow. A fucking queen. Yeah. Wow. I it's, bet there are so many fascinating, like, high level university classes about this exact thing, about just the absolute yeah. whitewashing of. Yeah. And that would be fascinating. Seriously. Like, when then, like, Europeans trot through and they're like, oh, a monster, and this is, this clearly must mean this, and it's like, or... Right, because that makes so much sense. Did you actually look into this at all and learn about the culture? So there's, like, all of these references and historical um, writings, including the Bible, that talk about different Candaces coming from that area, and they're these queens. 
Wow. And they just called them all Candace. Because it must be her name. Yeah. Um, that's literally all we know about her. She was one of, she's the most famous of the Kandakis. She, Kandaki, man, I'm just going to go back and forth. I apologize, everyone in the world. It's fine. Um, and I don't know when she died. But she passed it on to another queen ruler and they were thriving and she managed to keep Augustus and the Roman dickwads back. And I think it's super dope. That's amazing. Isn't that a cool story? Yes. I'm sorry. I love that. I'm always into history. I'm always into ancient queens. Mm. I'm I'm always into ancient queens. Yeah. This actually started as a rabbit trail about Medusa (laughs) and then blossomed into this huge other thing. And I was like, whoa. That's amazing. Yeah. Huge fan. Wow. Apparently there was a movie in the works about Amanoranus in 2017, but I can't find it anywhere and I can't find evidence of it anywhere other than like the announcement that it was going to be a thing and this is the director or whatever. Yeah. So I don't think it actually came to fruition, but good God, somebody needs to get on that. Wow. Isn't that cool? Yes. I love that. Um, to source my shit, Ancient Origins, Wikipedia, Ancient History Encyclopedia had an article by Joshua J. Mark. Appreciate you. Uh, the African House Records, Black Past. And there was this article on all black media by a guy named Chris Jones called The Real Medusa, an African goddess who wore dreadlocks, not snakes. Wow. Best yeah. title. Best title. Talk about clickbait. Yes, Seriously. I will click on that and read yeah, that. Absolutely. Like the best kind of clickbait, though. Oh, yeah. If it has yeah. to do with how this, you know, ancient monster mythological creature is actually a goddess. Into and it. A queen. Very yeah. Yes, please. All right, and I'm I'm done. Wow. Well, that was great. Thanks. I'm sweating a little bit. Um, sit back. Mine might be a scooch long. It's like please five do. pages. <laughs> Go for it. Um. Okay, Reagan. Have you ever heard of Patricia Bath? No. Yay. I've spent all day telling Evan random facts about this woman because I am obsessed with her. Okay, so first off, um, I got her from this great book that Veronica got for me. I'm probably going to buy a copy of that soon. Everybody should go buy a copy of this because I am so obsessed with it. It's called Women in Science, 50 Fearless Pioneers Who Changed the World. And it's got all these amazing little illustrations, and it's written by this woman named Rachel Ignatovsky. And it's so good. It's... It's so, so good. Um, So, Patricia Bath was -hmm. born November 4th, 1942, in Harlem. That's why I was like, no, you're absolutely going first. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) So close. Um, So, she's born in Harlem. Her dad was a Trinidadian immigrant. Um, He was the first black motorman for the New York City subway. I don't know what a motorman is, but it's pretty cool. Um, Her mom was a domestic worker, and her sweet mom, like, like squirreled away her entire salary to make sure that her kids would have a good education. Yeah. Amazing. Um, her parents are like top notch people. Um, 
Her dad encouraged her to travel a lot um, and learn as much as possible. And her mom taught her that science was really important, especially for young women. And so she bought her her first chemistry set when she was a kid. <sighs> Cute. Wow. Wow. Um, so in an interview with Time magazine in 2017, um, Patricia, not Priscilla. I don't know why. You got anyway, Patricia. Um, she says, quote, I wanted to pretend play and mold myself after scientists. When we would play nurse and doctor, I didn't want to be forced to play the role of the nurse. I wanted to be the one with the stethoscope, the one who gave the injections, the one in charge. Yeah. That's what I want to do. So, um, 1959, she's 16. Okay, keep in mind, this next story, she is 16. Okay. She receives a grant from the National Science Foundation to attend the Summer Institute in Biomedical Science at Yeshiva University. Okay, casual, easy. You have to apply for those, and that's a complicated process now. Like, you're 16. How... I don't know, man. Wow. So while she is at this, um, I don't know, it's like a conference. Um, she studies the relationship between stress, nutrition, and cancer. And uh, the work that she did and the research that she conducted was so impressive that the program's head, Dr. Robert Bernard, was so impressed that he included some of her findings in a scientific presentation that he did that garnered so much attention that she won the Merit Award from Mademoiselle Magazine in 1960. She's 16. Um, so two years, she grad, well, not two years later, she graduates high school in two years, period. Oh, sure, yeah. Me Casual. too. Yeah, easy, done. Obviously. Um, I went to high school like seven times. Cause Anybody like, who doesn't is a uh, loser. No brag. Um <laughs> So in 1964, she graduates from Hunter's College, and then after graduation, she goes off to attend Howard University to pursue a degree in medicine, which BT dubs, like 12 years earlier, our girl chemist Alma Hayden was at the same university. Yes. Cute. I, I love looked, it connects. I looked so much to see if they ever, like, intersect, but yeah. I couldn't find a date for when Alma was at Howard University, but she's, like, active against those shitty doctors at the same time that she's like going to school. So mm. not, but not far off. Um, obviously Patricia kills it. She graduates with honors and begins working at Harlem hospital in 1968. Okay. Page turn. <laughs> so one year later, she starts going to Columbia university for her fellowship because why not? Obviously. So at, so at this point in my research, I didn't realize she's working at both simultaneously. So she would work a shift at Harlem hospital and then take the bus to Columbia university to work there. She's working at both places at the same time. How, how do you, I just got so a, tired thinking about that bus ride. Oh my God. Seriously. Ugh. So, um, while she's at Columbia, she's going back and forth, right? She realizes that most of the people that she is seeing at Columbia university um, are white people, and most of the people she's seeing at Harlem Hospital are black people. And she is studying ophthalmology, so she's looking to be an eye doctor. She realizes, dealing with her patients, that the black people are twice as likely to suffer from blindness and eight times more likely to develop glaucoma, oh just from God. her patient sample size. And she's like, okay, well, this is because there is a lack of 
access to eye care in the black community. So that is like her number one career goal. Um, so she starts what she called community ophthalmology systems, and they are still in use today. And now they are a worldwide system of eye care that she started. Um, it was, she uh, became a groundbreaking ophthalmologist starting this because she realized that it was just, like it was totally just a lack of affordable care. People couldn't afford to go to the eye doctor, so they just weren't. So she started these and community ophthalmology is set up to where it's volunteer eye technicians and they will go and perform eye exams and um, do pro bono work. I don't know if it's called pro bono, if it's a doctor, if that's just a lawyer thing. I think, yeah. Anything that's like you're working without a fee. Yeah. Or you're donating your time and resource or uh, experience. I think that's pro bono. We'll call it. We'll call it pro bono. Sure. Um, they would go to and still do go to senior centers and daycares. So her idea of going to daycares was to identify the need for eyeglasses in young kids before they get to school so that it's not a learning impediment yeah. for them. So it also was like helping these kids academically, but also like making sure that their eye health was solid. Oh my God. I'm just, I just love her. The little kids in glasses. Oh my God. Come on. It's so cute. It's Especially so when they have to wrap around and stay on. I know. <laughs> I know. It's like the little kid in Hill House that wears those giant yes! glasses. Hello. Oh, my God. He's so cute. Um, so she pretty much single-handedly brings eye surgery services to Harlem Hospital. They performed the first eye surgery at the hospital in 1969 after she proposed it in 1968. Wow. Um, so she also gets Columbia University to agree to operate on blind patients for free and cool. volunteered as a surgeon. She volunteered as a surgeon. How old is she at this point? Um, 26. Sure. sure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> obviously. So. Oh, my God. Um, so in 1973, she becomes the first black woman to complete a residency in ophthalmology after finishing her studies at NYU. So she hops over to NYU for the last like couple years of her sure. residency. I but, would too. That's the clearest path forward. You know, you might as well. Collect schools. Just check all the boxes. Yeah. Um, 1974, she moves to California and she begins working uh, with both UCLA and Charles R. Drew University, but I think that they're like a joint university because I kept seeing them okay. referred to as UCLA Drew. So I think oh, that they're okay. like kind of the same. Um, she was an assistant professor of surgery at UCLA and assistant professor of ophthalmology at Drew University. Why not? Um, another picture. <laughs> it's really, it's very loud in the microphone, but that's why I like it, is it's a very dramatic page. It's turn. really aggressive. Yeah, yeah, it's because it's in this, like, little tiny notebook. Anyway. I love um, it. So in 1975, she becomes the first woman faculty member of the ophthalmology department of UCLA, and she was offered this, like, shit office in the basement. It was next to, like, the lab animals. Like, what the fuck? And she refused it. She was like, no, I'm not taking that. She was like, I am better than that, and I have done 
many things to prove that I am better than that. So I'm not doing that. She said later, quote, I didn't say it was racist or sexist. I said it was inappropriate and succeeded in getting acceptable office space. I decided I was just going to do my work. Yes. Like, even though, yes, it absolutely was racist and sexist. It's in the 70s. Like. Yeah. But. Wild. The fact, though, that she's like, I don't give a shit. That's not what I'm here for. Not here for any of this random I'm not here to fight you I'm not here to try and change your opinion or just like like, nope I'm doing more than this and you and I both know it oh my god I love it I love it you love to see it I do I love to see it I love to hear about it I love to imagine it everybody do it all the time um I definitely somewhere in here wrote you love to see it (laughs) but I don't remember what thing I loved that We'll find out. Um, so in 1987, nope, 1983, she became the chair of the ophthalmology residency training program at D- Drew UCLA, and she was the first woman in the U.S. to hold that sort of position. Whoa! In the 80s! Ew. Get it, guys. Um, so unsurprisingly, the U.S. was a hard place for a black woman to succeed professionally. So she's like, all right, bye, bitch. So she goes to Europe to... Yeah. Keep learning and keep researching. and like fucking Bessie Coleman. Just being like, later days, asshole. Or Josephine Baker, who did the same thing. Josephine Baker. Wow. When is Josephine Baker Day? Have we missed it? I don't remember. We can find out. God, I love her. Um, So she goes to Europe. They love her in, like, Berlin and London and Paris. She's just kind of hopping around and working she's working the whole time and developing different research and everything so finally she ends up coming back to the states um in 1977 so we're going back in time a little bit that was in the mid 80s 1977 she co-founds with two other dude doctors um she co-founds the american institute for the prevention of blindness or aipd it was based on the principle that sight is a human right and that eye care should be available to everyone everywhere regardless of economic status my sweet my sweet love so then um i'm going to read a quote from this article um that's talking about the institute so it says quote the institute supports global initiatives to provide newborn infants with protective eye anti-infection eye drops to ensure that children who are malnourished receive vitamin A supplements essential for vision and to vaccinate children against diseases such as the measles that can lead to blindness. Oh, my God. Cute. Protect um, baby's eyes. Oh, my God. And then when you go on their website, it's, it's, first of all, the most accessible website that I've ever seen. Like, there are, there are links everywhere to, like, hey, do you want to hear this part read out loud because you can't read this? Here's a button for it. And, like, their mission is to totally eradicate preventable blindness by 2020. Uh, so I don't know if they're going to do it, but it sure so. be cool. I believe in um, that. So 1981, she starts working on the laser FACO probe. Um, it, every article that I read was like, yeah, like she came up with this idea well before the technology existed for this idea. Like Mm. she just kind of had to sit on it and research for five years to figure out how to make it work. Um, 
It, she finally got a patent for it in 1988. She was the first black woman doctor to receive a medical patent in 88. Um, it, it creates a less painful and more precise cataract treatment. So, um, using this device, she was able to restore sight in hundreds and hundreds of people, some of whom had been blind for 30 years. Can you even imagine? Can you imagine? It's, okay, it's like those videos that you see every once in a while of, like, deaf baby hears its mother's voice for the first time or whatever, but, like, you had it and then lost it. And then lost it. And then you get it, oh. I know. I know. Um, this probe is still in use today, by the way. Worldwide now. Wow. Um, so... Let's see. Uh, in 2014, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office said that this device, device, quote, helped restore or improve vision to millions of patients worldwide. Wow. Um, so in 1993, she retires from UCLA. She was appointed to the honorary medical staff. She also was named a Howard University pioneer in academic medicine that same year, which I love. Yeah. Um, so after she retired, page turn. <laughs> After she retired, she settles down and starts gardening. J.K. Lowell. Nope, J.K. Lowell. She never stops. She instead starts advocating hard for telemedicine. <laughs> she's retired and she's like, I don't give a shit. So what she, a red herring you just oh, threw at me and then immediately ripped back. Plot twist. <laughs> I even wrote it down. I wrote down that J.K. Lowell. J.K. Lowell. <laughs> I did. All caps, J.K. Lowell. <laughs> Flawlessly <laughs> executed. You nailed it. Um, so she starts advocating hard for telemedicine, insisting that people who lived in remote areas had just as much a right to health care as anybody else. A true hero. Oh, God. It must be um, so frustrating to be so ahead of your time all the time. Like, oh my <laughs> God. Frustrating thing. In she just never stops. Um, so. My second favorite quote from hers, and then I'll tell you about my first favorite. Okay. My second favorite quote, quote, the ability to restore sight is the ultimate reward. Which, like, no wonder she's doing all this shit for free. Yeah. She doesn't give a shit about the money or any, like, oh, my God. Um, so in April 2019, she testified at a Senate Judiciary subcommittee at a hearing called Trailblazers and Lost Einsteins, Women's, Women Inventors and the Future of American Innovation. Oof. Sure. Yes, girl. Um, so her goal was to level the playing field so that a career like hers would not be, it wouldn't stick out. She just, she wants to just totally blend in and not have it be some big giant thing. So she told Time Magazine talking about this hearing, she said, quote, the narrative the narrative of surprise, it has to change. I realize that when I achieve these things, it helps what other people, what other women and other people of color, black women can do. But keep in mind, I never had any doubts. Oh my God. Sorry, be right back. I'm gonna just go die real quick. <laughs> Man. I love that she's like, yeah, like. Obviously. I had an insane career, but that we sh that it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that yeah that and women that, and especially black women can do these things like that should not be surprising to anybody. It yeah, and imagine if we had given black women the 
um, the, I mean, resources that they needed, how much better all of our lives would be. Dude. Yeah. I mean, it's that thing of being way ahead of your time. Like, just think about all these women that we've covered from like the 1800s who didn't have all of these opportunities and couldn't, even if they wanted to, which they did. <laughs> like, they just Imagine how much better all of our lives would be if this little pesky thing of systemic racism and white supremacy just freaking wasn't a thing. Wasn't a thing. It would be great. Um, so Patricia Bath died in May 2019 from complications with cancer, I think. I, I, after she testified? Yep. Dude. Yep. Um, so she, um, I, I read a couple of things that said that it was cancer complications, but then a couple other things that said it was a brief illness. So it might have been one of those things where she had it and just nobody knew. And then by the time yeah. they found it, it was just too it was late. like, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, that is queen wow. ophthalmologist Patricia Bath. Dude. Right? I never thought that ophthalmology would be so fascinating or like inspiring to me. <laughs> wow. uh, so to source my shit real quick, um, the main source that I had um, is a—it's just like a web page. It didn't really have an author or anybody, but it's from the National Institute of Health, and they have a section of their website that's called "Changing the Face of Medicine," and it's just like biography after biography of these amazing people. And so wow. that was. That was kind of peak number one. Yeah. Um, and then biography.com and the New York Times ran an obituary for her when she died last year called Dr. Patricia Bath, 76, who took on blindness and earned a patent dies. And that was written by Neil Genslinger. I mean, it's a good title but or headline, but I wish it was like Dr. Patricia Bath one-handedly reverses blindness. You're welcome. Queen of our lives and our eyes. <laughs> Queen of our <laughs> eyes. Damn. Ah. <laughs> uh, wow. Queen yeah. of our eyes. Incredible. Yeah. So shout out Veronica for giving me this book and because I mean I don't know. I have, I have never even stumbled upon her name. I've never yeah. even heard that name. Which is crazy. I mean, I'm sure if I'm sure if either of us were in the medical field, we probably would have. But probably just optometry, optometry. Op- yeah. Probably just eyeballs. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we should super go into the medical field. I doubt we would be so like feet, then we would know. <laughs> yeah, you're right. If we were in feet, we probably would not. Wouldn't know. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. I can't wait to buy that book <laughs> it's the best it's the best are there other should, versions or is it just women in science i i don't know but i would be really surprised if there were not other versions honestly but like some of them are like um there's one that's like a a physicist poet and so she wrote like like physics poetry damn girl excuse me excuse me Damn. Spoiler alert for what? like the week after next. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they have, so they have, it has like quotes from other authors on the back talking about the book. 
And one of them wrote a book called Headstrong, 52 Women Who Changed Science in the World. And the other one is the author of a book called The Only Woman in the Room, Why Science is Still a Boys Club. Yeah. Man, talk about two other books that I'm going to go buy. Seriously. And two other people that are absolutely qualified to have quotes on the back of that book. Yes. A lot of times I read like on the back of a book, it's like, wow, this was astonishing. Life change. It's from like a celebrity. I'm like, I don't care. I don't give a shit. How are you an authority on this? Yeah. I just had a moment where I was like, did I source my shit? Yes, I did. You did. did. Thank you. Good news. Wow. Um, Who's your babe? Of the week. Your other babe. My other babe of the week. The, The people, I will say, that have made this week incredible um are a few people um michelle obama mm. ava duvernay, mm. duvernay uh and angela davis mainly oh, man what a solid grouping of people watching well i finished reading becoming and then i watched the documentary on how they on the like book tour which if you have not done yet it's it's so lovely. She's so lovely. And then they interview various um, young women who were in high school at the time um, who met with Michelle and were, you know, kind of interviewing her and all. It's just, it's so, so good. And it gives me so much hope. Um, so then everybody's been talking about 13th mm-hmm. and everybody should always definitely watch 13th, but there's also on Netflix a talkback session between Ava and Oprah about why and how she made 13th, which is incredible. And it's like 35 minutes. It's super short, but it's literally just Ava and Oprah sitting down and Oprah's like, okay, how did you decide, you know, when did you decide you were going to whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, And being the ignorant asshole that I was, I didn't know who Angela Davis was before I watched 13th before yeah. and I'd, I'd like come across her on Twitter a couple of times but I didn't know who she was Yeah. and now I just like I wish I could get a YouTube video of her in court being like I will defend myself and another thing you're all wrong I'm smarter than you bada bing bada boom man just it gives me a lot of hope that there are a lot of very powerful queens like paving the way for us but Ava makes a really good point where she's like I don't want people to feel off the hook like oh there's all these really smart people and they're on it and they'll do it like no 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 it's on all of us like we need to do this yes there are a lot of really smart talented incredibly powerful people working on this but there's still a huge problem like there's only so much you know And it's just been a very, like, educational and inspiring week of mainly those three ladies. Obviously, there's a million more, but those are the three that I'm, like, clinging to right now. I'm just trying to, like, read everything, and I love it, and I'm obsessed with it. And I love that. Good one. Thanks, man. Good ones. Who is and or are yours? Um... Mine 
is we've already briefly touched on it, um, <clears throat> but I think mine has to be Dawson Moore. Dude, yeah. At the last Valdez Theater Conference, especially this week. Like, I kind of forgot until, like, Friday last week that yeah. it was going to be this week. And so I was like, man, like, I'm supposed to be driving to Valdez right now, and I'm yeah. not because everything is shitty. And then on Sunday, Dawson starts doing these little videos the video. for the Facebook group oh. where he just goes through and does his regular normal evening speech being like, hey, sign up for the monologue workshop. And like, it's just, it's so good. And um, this is normally a week that everybody, I mean, everybody that we know that, that goes to the conference is usually sending a lot of love Dawson's way. And um, it's, it's always very deserved, but I think especially this year, considering that, yeah. I feel like everybody is realizing this year like how much we really needed the conference especially this year and then it didn't happen. Like this is this is yeah. probably the worst year for the conference not to have happened. <laughs> and um still I understand like I mean obviously Oh my god. Why of course. We know of course. why it's happening. Of course. People flying in from it's literally all over the world like, like it, it is the best choice. Yeah. It just sucks and we miss it. It just sucks. And I think especially like right now, like in the middle of everything, it would it would be great to be having those conversations of like, hey, how do we make theater more inclusive and how do we how do we fix white problem spots in theater? Like it would yeah. be great to be having those conversations with all of these theater makers from around the world right yeah. now. Um so I just miss it a lot. I mean, that's not surprising to anybody who has been to the conference. Like, everyone is missing it. But especially Dawson, you know, I mean, he he always puts so much effort into it. And it's, like, his year-long thing. And so for then it not to have happened and then still be putting out these videos, I feel like, I feel like it's only 40% for Dawson and the rest of it is for all of us. Cause he's like posting photos and shit from like past years too. It's just mm. so he's still putting in so much work to make sure that everybody feels connected and feels like it is a joint collaborative effort still. And it's just, it's so good. And I, I want Dawson to have all of the love that exists because yeah. he deserves it. It's, it's a form of home for me and I'm sure a lot of other people. And I was coping with the fact that I was not going to have it. And then that first video came out and I didn't realize how much in denial I was and how much I was like holding it back until he was like, welcome to the, and I was like, Oh no. And of course it's me. So I start crying a whole yeah. bunch. It was just like, I love those people. I love that place. I, know. I love the community and the discussions and the creativity and the support. Man. Stop eating my lotion. Well, I'm going to go watch cartoons because I'm an adult. I'm going to go get the laundry out of the dryer because <laughs> I'm Oh, I've got to switch my laundry. Shit. Thanks for the reminder. You're welcome. Definitely would have forgotten about that. I'm going to have to redo it in the morning. Well, 
Love you. I love you. Someday we should figure out how to hang up. Nope. Won't happen. I feel like if we found a way to hang up, we wouldn't be us. Because part of this is just us catching up and, like, seeing each other. That's true. And so if we had, like, a clear-cut, like, all right, (laughs) then it wouldn't be... It would it wouldn't be the relationship that we have, you know? That's true. So that's Well then in that case it I should be like that. okay, well fuck off. See you tomorrow. Like that's that would be more accurate, I feel like. Smell you later. <laughs> yeah, definitely that. For sure. All right, Fran. And on well, that note, I will um, smell you later. Cute. Okay. <laughs> that sounds great. I love you. I love you too. Bye. <laughs> Bye.